Welcome to Executives Unpacked, bringing you inspiration from the boardroom. A series of interviews with key and senior executives from throughout the content media, satellite and news space, connectivity and cybersecurity industries. Brought to you by Newco Global Executive Search. Welcome to Executives Unpacked. I'm John Clifton, founder of Newco Global Executive Search, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Nick Brambring, CEO at Zatu, a company that's a true pioneer in the world of TV streaming. Nick has been the CEO at Zatu since 2012, having been with them since 2007 when he joined them as a content director. Prior to his time at Zatu, he was with the Boston Consulting Group. He's a qualified lawyer with a PhD in law from Cologne, as well as gaining an MBA from Inseed. Quite the talented man. Like many, the thing he's lost that he wishes he had more of is time. One day he'd like to produce a movie and something he yearns for is the humble foosball table. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you very much. You make me feel very good. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope so. So um, to all our listeners and, and for Nick as well, uh, a reminder that our Execs Unpacked podcast series is all about doing just that, unpacking leadership learnings from the people that we interview and sharing those with our listeners. So Nick, let's dive into the first group of our core questions. What would you say is the, the biggest lesson that you've learned during your career? So yesterday, a um, couple of colleagues and I were actually talking about a similar question in a leadership essential trainings that we have here, which uh, I have the privilege to participate as a mentor. And uh, one of the things I shared there, which I think also matches this question, is the transition from an individual contributor to the leader of a team. And there are many learnings, of course, around that. And one, I just want to give a little anecdote uh, and then draw the conclusion. So the anecdote is as follows. There was a situation when we wanted to pitch something to our board of directors and shareholders. And I prepared a presentation. I said, I'll, I'll do a draft. And then with my management colleagues, we wanted to make sure that we have a good presentation to pitch our idea. And I did that draft, spent hours on the weekend thinking about it and crafting it, putting together the presentation and so on, was quite proud about it, felt it was a really good outcome. Gave it to the group and said, what do you think? And the feedback was brutal. So, uh, you know, comments pouring in, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. That doesn't convey the message you're missing. This boom, 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 boom. And that obviously felt terrible, right? Uh, we as humans have this crocodile brain, 400 million years old. And if somebody criticizes you, the, the croc brain will tell you, you know, danger, danger, you know, either run away or, or, or attack or whatever. And what you get to realize over time is that it's not your job to be the best in making a presentation, not your job to the best in modeling, not even your job to, to come up with, with great ideas yourself, but your job is to make sure that in the end, you have a good pitch or a good business plan, good revenues, um, good ideas that make your users happy and your customers happy and so on. And whether they originate from you or from somebody else doesn't matter at all, right? So. I took that feedback, I uh, basically redid the presentation and 
I saw that it was much better than the one before. And also, fortunately, my colleagues this time said, yes, that's now the right presentation to go into there. And that uh, represents a lot of that, what, what leadership, I think, is about versus individual contribution and a big aha moment for myself. Yeah, oh, good. And it, it's uh, I completely agree with you. I've never heard it referred to as the, the crocodile brain in that way before, but it's it's completely right. We all get very defensive when uh, when ideas are are shot down or suggestions are not welcomed. And so I think that's a really good bit of advice. And um, my second question is, is there something that you can single out that, you know, you know now, but you really wish that someone had told you earlier in your career? So what I wished I would have done differently looking back and um, I wished I could have um, realized that earlier is again probably best expressed with you know little personal anecdotes and then the conclusion is, is quite obvious. So my time before the two, as you said, I was in a strategy consulting, fantastic company, great colleagues, everything. It was not 100% my thing. I didn't find job. I got my promotions and MBA, finance, etc. cetera, uh, everything good. But it was never really something I, I went 100% in. And I never really developed the passion for it. And that's entirely looking back my fault in saying, hey, I wanted to do, you know, TV, media, that, that, that's what I was interested in. But of course, there's not so many projects in that area. Um, and nobody is waiting for you as a junior associate coming in. And I really, I wrote to partners and said, like, here I am, uh, I'm interested in these projects, you know, please give me some I can pick from to make the point. And, and to realize that uh, that's, of course, you know, but nobody's paying you for just being a brilliant student and then, then continuing being smart, but, but there are problems at hand and you want to tackle them. And, and whether, you know, it's, it's a cool media project or an, 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 a health insurance company or something like that, it's always better, not just for your employer, but, but really for yourself to go all in because then you you get so much more out of it. And that's something I really, it took me some time to realize it. I have a lot of young young colleagues who, who uh, are much smarter uh, than, than I was when I was their age. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really good bit of advice because it's all well and good people saying, you know, follow your dreams and do the thing that you love and do the thing that you're passionate about. But sometimes that's not possible or reality, certainly at the beginning of one's career. But I think you do have the ability to make the choice to, as you say, go all in um, to, you know, to, to give yourself that boost and give yourself the best opportunities in, in whatever the next moves come um, and, and kind of linking it to, you know, things perhaps you've been told earlier, but you know, things that you, that you have been told, can you, um, can you identify a one piece of advice that you would say is the best bit of advice that you've ever been given? No, but I can tell you what kind of advice uh, I very much appreciate and I find very helpful. So I cannot think of a piece of advice where somebody said, you should do this. And I did exactly that and was was great. But I 
had a mentor. I, I asked him, it's a senior person. He was in the board of directors at Zotu. And I asked him to meet with me like once per month to help me, uh, especially in my early days as a CEO. And the meetings usually went as me taking problems in and saying, look, that's my problem. That's how, what I would do. I always said, that's a problem. That's what I would do. What do you think? And in most cases, you just say, oh, that sounds plausible. That sounds right. And that was already very helpful because um, at least I knew it was not completely stupid, right? And in some cases, he said, uh, look, at a similar situation, uh, and that's what I did. And sometimes it was similar to what I would have done. Sometimes it was very different to what I would have done. And I don't remember one time when he said, don't do that. That will be bad because, you know, I have this experience uh, and it didn't work out. So don't do that because every situation is different. Every team is different. Um, every leadership style is a bit different. So I think it's very important. And that's what I all also uh, always uh, you know, tell people who ask for advice that um, every advice, including mine, should always not be taken as a like, you know, rule to follow, uh, but just as input from my subjective perspective. And I think what's good and valuable is to talk to different people, get different perspectives, and then get all that input, see what works for you with, with your character, with your style and your context, and try to apply it. And do you think that that is, you know, to your point, we're different, we have different leadership styles, the people that we might manage or lead, of course, have their own individual styles, the culture of companies is, of course, different, and so on and so forth. But do you feel that that method or mechanism of, um, of feedback and advice holds true in every situation? Yes. I, I would agree. I would agree. Um, thank you very much. So I, I'd like to, before we come on to some of the other questions, I'd like to touch on the TV streaming industry um, a little and, and also uh, also your company is that too. So from an industry perspective, I think we've, I think we can all agree there's been, there's been some huge changes, particularly in recent times. So I think the industry went through a bit of a, bit of a stagnation for a, for a, for a little period of time but i think you know the the evolvement and evolution of technology certainly in the last five years has been astronomical what's exciting you most about where the content and media industry is heading that has evolved indeed so at the beginning uh, since i was always fascinated by good content right i loved movies and certain tv shows and so on that's where my main fascination came from. Also what we were doing at Zatu, just having great content, our platform and transporting it and so on. And it's still in the center, right? Whatever technology and features and so on you build, uh, you have to make sure that content is in the center because that's what, what users interested in. That's what's appealing. That's what's emotional. That's where the connection is. You, you want to help people find the good content and, and watch it in perfect resolution and so on and so on. And over time, of course, the, the technological aspect, because the two is a, a tech company, not, not a content company, is something that uh, I, I got to love. It, it's, it's hyper fascinating to me. Um, and 
on the one hand, there's things that the user doesn't even see, like, you know, we, we have 11 different clients that we support on all different devices and so on, hyper complex and so on. The, the question is how to, can you reduce complexity? How can you, you, you become more efficient? So you are also faster in development and, and faster in, in, in innovating and so on. And when you, when you look at from the user perspective, uh, what can happen is I think a great example, we just talked about it an, an hour ago in a little like product exchange is what's happening with chat GBT now. Um, and I, I think that's showing the way and people in two, three years will also expect that from their TV to not just say in the EPG, what was going on yesterday at, at 8.15 or in the search type in, I don't know, Harry Potter, was there a movie or something like that, but rather, hey, um, I love interviews with Roger Federer uh, maybe in that you know was there something yesterday and then then you need good metadata not just saying okay there's a sports show or whatever but but really like second by second what's happening and a good interface for the user to search for that content and I think that can really be a giant step from where we are in terms of usability because everything you you've seen over the last six, seven years in terms of how like personal recommendations so develop, it's not really been a big step uh, in my view um, for, for users. Mm, because I think, I think it's, you know, again, and I, I suspect from your perspective, being a company that does these types of things, I'm sure you'll argue that there are, you know, developments and things are pushing the boundaries, but I think, but I do think from a user's perspective, the amount of content that there is now has made the TV experience harder. It has made it, I find, you know, sometimes it actually being stressful trying to find something to watch. And I do think that whole recommendation system, recommendation engine, it works to a point, but if you watch a lot, it kind of runs out relatively quickly and so i i'm i'm very intrigued to see how that next part goes um so coming on to datu what um you know what what part can you guys play i suppose in in enhancing and improving that user experience for everybody yeah so i would say um on two levels the one is enhancing the TV experience, and I'm now talking about more TV in the narrower sense, like really TV channels distributing their channels, and then you have live TV and also recordings and maybe catch up if, if the legal situation, content rights situation allows. And there are ways to improve that. And one way I just touched on, right, really working more intensely with metadata to really um, give the users uh, easier access to what they're really interested in. And then on a broader level, of course, part of that TV-like experience is also Netflix and Disney and Amazon and so on. And from, for, Zatua has a, a business-to-consumer unit, right, with brand Zatua in Germany, Switzerland, Austria. We also have a B2B business where we provide technology and TV as a service, a white label to customers, mainly operators who want a modern IP TV, but don't want to build it like, I don't know, Vodafone does. So it's rather the, the medium-sized players uh, that we serve with our solution. And when it comes to what we want to do for those, 
um, they usually have a setup box that they provide to the user. So an alternative to the Apple TV and, and the Fire and so on. And on these boxes, you also have uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime and so on. So there, it's also our job to make sure that the interface for the user works, uh, including all these apps, right? For our business to consumer, we are just an app on the Apple TV, on the Amazon Fire, on, on your ties and Samsung and so on. Um, and then Apple or Google, so they, they need to make sense of, of the entire universe. But on these boxes with our B2B, we also need to make sense of that. And that indeed, as you said, it's, it's, it's harder and harder. Just look at, you know, we want to watch a football match in Germany. It's like uh, Sky and the Zone, and sometimes it's even RTL, sometimes public broadcasters, sometimes Amazon Prime. So it's uh, crazy. Um, and uh, some of them don't even have an interest in, uh, you know, making it all accessible very easy because they are fighting against each other. And, and that, that makes it very difficult. So we want to make it easy for our customers, the operator, and easy for their users um, to navigate through that um, huge variety of content. Mm. And and. Do you, um, it's perhaps a bit of a leading question, but do you see that that's possible? It's not possible to do it perfect, but perfect is the enemy of the good. So uh, we should not stop improving because we see it will not be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Very good. Uh, so coming back to um, to some of your experiences over your, uh, over your career, uh, what types of things have constantly kept you awake at night? So usually things that are around personal relationships in the end. And um, that, that's what stresses me personally the most, right? So if I see, I don't know, numbers going down, but, but I, I have the feeling, yes, we can recover and, and, and so on, it's good. Or I don't know, a bonus going down. So that's not things, I can be very rational and abstract about that. But when it comes to personal relationships, and of course, they're also at stake when, I don't know, you, 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 you go insolvent, right? I mean, the first years of Zatu, we're a small kind of startup, uh, you go most of them go through a phase we certainly did where everything's like okay do we still exist in two years yeah um and that of course also has an impact what do i tell my colleagues what do the thing and so on so 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 these things were were most best we also went through a phase where we had to lay off two-thirds of the company um in in, in 2008-2009 that was the hardest and still when you when you see you know you hire someone great person, great CV and so on, but you see it doesn't fit for us, right? I mean, it's usually not like you find, oh, this is an idiot, but usually it's just, sometimes it just doesn't fit. And, and then you have to end that again. And I think for many leaders, that is the hardest part, but also very crucial part to be honest to yourself and honest with the other person. And when you're straight up front and, and you communicate clearly, it also gets easier. And um, in the end, that's one of the most important things, of course, to have, have a great team that, that works together well and also um, make changes that are necessary early enough. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and 
I was curious from that point, you know, but you particularly mentioned about some of the challenging times when, you know, there, there are there is essentially you know, bad news, for want of a better phrase, that needs to be communicated to, um, you know, to your colleagues or your, you know, your team, your employees, whatever the case may be. Do you have any advice on on that? I, I, I often catch myself thinking maybe we could have said something earlier um and, and perhaps that's just the benefit of hindsight but do you have any insight on on that side of things as to when you should communicate or or you know earlier later i think there's two things that you can do and the one thing is really um making sure you have the right perspective on it it's not about, you know, qualifying someone as a person. Um, and I think in, in my early days, I sometimes had that feelings like, okay, I, I need to tell someone it's not working. That's terrible for the person. And, and I'm basically telling him he's bad. And, and you know, uh, and then I, I go into the meeting so loaded and stressed that, probably I convey the message, although I will not say that, but as if that's the case, and, and that's not the case. So I think the right perspective is not, not everybody fits together, right? I mean, you have great sports teams, have, let's say a football team, and then a great player joins that team, and some, suddenly the team is worse, you know? That doesn't say the player is not great, it just it doesn't work. And if you look at it that way, I think it's also much easier, still sometimes hard, but much easier to openly talk about it and say, hey, I know you have, you have done a fantastic job, you know, at your last company, um, you have great credentials, you're super smart and so on, but you also see that we, the results are not what they should be, right? And I mean, then that's one thing, the perspective. And the, the second part, of course, is very early communication in terms of making sure expectations are cleared, right? So you say, that's what you will be held accountable. I mean, for a sales, it's usually very easy, right? I mean, uh, yes. a sales that doesn't sell, um, that's rather easy, but, but it's also possible in, in all um, positions uh, to, to have objective milestones and say, look, it's not happening. And it's not because you're stupid, maybe because the environment is not good, and maybe because we have the wrong structure, but then we have the wrong structure for you. You know what I mean? And then, then you can rather objectively talk about it. And if you have that early on and you had these conversations two or three times, and then it's basically just sitting, okay, I mean, it was very clear where we wanted to head. We have jointly not, we've both of us have failed to get there, um, but that means we now need to change something. And then it becomes easier. Doesn't, doesn't, always be is easy but it becomes easier oh, i think that's great advice now i i think particularly that point around setting expectations but also addressing some of the problems early i, I think often the challenges issues and problems are left to fester um yeah that gives a false sense of security to the person that's not performing and for the leader it, it just increases the angst and and makes things i think much much harder to deal with so i think that's i think that's fantastic advice and um, lots of people that i speak to can pinpoint a variety of different you know reasons or um or you know character traits or whatever the case may be as to as to why they've 
you know, had success or, or been successful. Um, but I'm always interested to know whether there is, whether people can identify, you know, kind of one thread um, that has, that's run through your career that's led to success. So a couple of things we, we talked about, some of them came rather late, some aha moments, some insights. I think to be really successful, you need something that you can bring yourself to be 100% in. That came a bit later, that came with Zatu. And something which was pretty much always there, I would say since I left school, not, not before, but since then. And which I often find when other much more successful people than me talk about what they did is a constant discipline and not giving up. It doesn't always need, you know, the 80 hour weeks or whatever, but it's just a discipline to do your job and continue whatever happens. And that is true in good times and especially true in bad times. Often the only difference between the company that goes insolvent and the company that is very successful, but when you look back, they had a super hard time, like three years after founding, is that they just pushed through. And I remember talking to someone, super successful person, um, not charismatic, uh, not you know, the, the big leader, like, you know, a little child would imagine a, a big leader being, but he just, yeah, we just continued and, and, and tried again and again and again. And, 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 and still with that belief, of course, sometimes that's just stupid uh, to again, but, but with that belief and he saw some, he saw that concrete chance of what, what's wrong, what needs to be fixed. And if it was fixed, then they would go. So just push through. And I think that is, um, in the end, very important. And, and that, uh, I would say that the discipline of just continuing um, is something that I had and which in the end um, led to the somehow uh, uh, successful career. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And, and as you say, I think that for lots of people, it, it's easy to give up. Um, and it's also very easy to get disheartened and, and disillusioned with what it is that you're trying to achieve when sometimes those results aren't coming through. And I, I, I heard something really fascinating um, a couple of months ago about a list of variety of different companies that, um, that had gone through some, some bad times. Yeah, Starbucks and Apple um, and Lego were, you know, were some mm -hmm. of the ones that were highlighted. And the key message around that was just them really crystallizing what was it they were really good at and just focusing on that and forget the noise and it's okay if that thing that you're focusing on isn't what everyone else thinks that you should focus on or what you know the you know, other people think whatever the case may be but if you have that drive and belief to know that what it is that you're doing is the thing that you're really good at stay in your lane and keep going um and you know and, and long-term success will follow so exactly. it's great i'm sure you know these these jim collins books right yeah. uh, from good to great and so on he talks about that hedgehog principle yeah. you find yes. your one thing um and that's true for for your like personal development and also developing a, mm -hmm. a, a company 
Yeah, completely agree. Uh, very good. So before we uh, before we come to our final question, uh, we're just going to have a, a, a super fast, quick fire round uh, so people can get to know you a little bit more. So uh, first out of the tracks, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? We moved to my hometown, Cologne, and Cologne people are a bit, um, you know, very local patriots, we would uh, say in, in, in Germany. So uh, with little kids, we have seven, five, and one. Uh, our activity radius is more like, you know, 100 meters around our house anyways. Uh, so if we lived in Manhattan, it would still be 100 meters around our house. So for now, Cologne. And then there are a couple of places I, I love, and New York would be one of them. There's some place I have not seen yet. I would love to go to Tokyo uh, one day. But for living in the moment, Cologne is the right place at the right time for us. Yeah, very good. I've been to Cologne several times, and uh, I, I feel that patriotism. Um, I think we have a similar thing in Brighton here in the UK. Um, <laughs> uh, what makes you laugh the most? I would say that can be anything. Probably the hardest, it's just some silly things that you develop, you know, when you're with a couple of, of people and, and it doesn't have to be a professional comedian, but just some silly thoughts that you escalate over time. Uh, you have that social component of people you like around you, uh, where you feel comfortable letting loose, uh, not being afraid of saying the wrong words or something like that. And if that's an atmosphere then the hard laughs will will come quickly. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, if you could, uh, if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? French fries with ketchup. Ah, <laughs> oh, ketchup. I, I'm a fries with mayo guy. I love I love fries with mayo. I, I, I also like mayonnaise. Um, at home, we, are, we eat vegan and uh, we have vegan mayonnaise. There's actually good okay. vegan mayonnaise, but when I'm traveling, then I usually go for ketchup. Yeah, okay, very good. Uh, tell us something um, that not many people know about you. It's a silly example, a silly thing coming to mind. Uh, I did short movies and, and music videos when I was younger, and I applied for an internship at a TV channel called Viva, like a youth music uh, thing. And I, I wanted to do an internship, and I sent some of my clips in. <laughs> and they never replied to me, but a friend of mine said, I saw you on TV. I said, what? And there was a, like a format where somebody... I don't know what the format was, just read out like letters and showed different stuffs that he thought that uh, found. And that was like early 90s, right? And and he read parts of my letter, but as if um, I was a fan, right? So he was like, yeah, we have a letter from Nick and uh, ba 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 he did these videos and we, we show you some of that stuff. So they cut some of the music video pieces together and, and showed a minute. And fortunately, they only had footage for eight hours per day. So they repeated everything twice. So I, I still could see that and actually a video recorded. Oh, fantastic. And I left it. I, I, still, I still never did, did the internship. 
So you got your you got your minutes of fame. Very good, very good. Um, uh, what is your go to karaoke song? Or if you're not a karaoke fan, ah, thank you. What would you sing if you were forced to do karaoke? <laughs> well, as we discussed, coming from Cologne, that's rather easy. We have a lot of local songs for the Cologne Carnival, so I would say in. In Unserem Fedel is something really nice. It's about um, exactly that local patriotism. It's like, you know, here we, we, we stand with each other and, you know, everybody's crying and best friends, even people, you know, will not talk to you the next day. But uh, that's very dear to my heart. Oh, fabulous. Very good. And lastly, um, who would be your dream dinner party guest? I guess somebody who's still alive or yes. Mm. I got really interested in stand-up comedy, so I would probably choose one of them. Um, I want to say Louis C.K. Yeah, he'd probably, or, or Ricky Gervais. I think they yeah, would all be quite fun. Very good, very good, very good. I love that. It's one of our favorite parts of the show. Um, and thanks again for all of your other answers. And, and this now brings us to our uh, to the final question. And that is, what one bit of advice do you always give to other people? I would say that's then a meta advice, uh, which I referred to before, is to take any advice, including mine, um, not as a to-do, but as input for your own decision. Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for your time, Nick. I really, really appreciate it. Great to hear all your thoughts and insight and, uh, and a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. I very much enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more. For more information about Nuco Global Executive Search, we can be found at executive.nuco-group.com. That's executive.neuco-group.com.